indeed another uh, tremendous hymn to sing together. So just before we uh, actually begin to look at the psalm, I just want to make mention of the fact that the moon is mentioned here in this psalm. And this evening, if you've been uh, following, uh, there's something that should be happening regarding a, a full eclipse of the moon, which means that it's, uh, you'll probably see what's described as a blood moon. And the scriptures talk about blood moons uh, in several places, so if you want to have a look, I think uh, as, this, as the sun goes down and the moon begins to rise, you can see something. And here in Canada, it should last for about 84 minutes, so it's worth looking, whereas in Europe, it will only last for a very short period of time. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. So when you look at a $20 bill here in Canada, whose picture do you see on it? Yes, young man at the back. You really don't know. That's a stunning answer. Okay, whoever's child that is, uh, if the parents could talk to them after the service, I would be grateful. So right, any advance on, I really don't know. Has anyone got a $20 bill on them? Dezina. Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth II, technically, although I think uh, for Canada, she is only Queen Elizabeth I because Canada hadn't been discovered when Queen Elizabeth I uh, was uh, Queen of England. And so what does that mean? What, what does it mean having uh, a queen? Because I think technically, is Canada a dominion? I don't know what, it's not a republic, we know that much, but technically a dominion. And of course, the word dominion is very much a Bible word. Uh, we talk about man having dominion over creation and so on. And uh, so Canada is, I think, strictly speaking, a dominion, which means that it has, uh, as its head of state, um, Queen Elizabeth II. Now, it does strike me that, that many Canadians have absolutely no idea that that's the case, and that's fine, you know. Uh, many people in England don't seem to understand that, uh, that we have a royal family and so on, and sometimes our royal family embarrasses itself so terribly that we don't uh, really want to have a great deal to do with them. But it helps us to understand a little bit about what we're talking about here at the moment, because last week we considered King Adam, and we discovered that indeed God had placed him to reign, to have dominion over the birds, to have dominion over the animals, the things that creeped and crawled around, the things that swam in the sea. Adam was to have dominion over them. It was to rule over them. He was God's ruler, if you like, on the earth. And of course, we discover, as we have read Psalm 8, um, that, uh, that this is the case when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you are ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you have visited him, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, as we look around, and I'm not particularly saying that we need to look at ourselves here, but you know what? Our crowns have somewhat slipped, haven't they? All right? In fact, they're gone. Because Adam came in into sin, sin came into the world, and we have discovered that this massive disconnect has taken place. The relationship that Adam had with God has been broken. And we in our lives find and recognize that we are born naturally as sinful people. From the first breath that we have, sin is the natural inclination that we have. And we were speaking of the fact this morning that... Uh, uh, when you survey, and, uh, and we were talking at our men's fellowship on Thursday, that uh, uh, an anonymous survey where nobody, you know, you could come in with a paper bag over your head, no one would know who you were, and you could just tell the truth and speak the truth. And the fact is the church, let alone the world, is in a serious problem because telling lies, for example, is something that men particularly are quite happy to do. 
They will cover up their sin. They will hide things. They will say things to other people, perhaps in a misleading way. Maybe to try and simply cover themselves, the weaknesses that they know that they have in their lives. Now, we discovered that I think only about 13% of men surveyed felt that the Ten Commandments should be in any way really respected and kept in their lives today. And these are things which are pretty depressing when you analyze it and when you think about it. Because we prayed, didn't we, about the rock about what is it that our lives are built on? What is the foundation that we have? And if there's anybody who's a builder here, you'll know that you've got to get the foundation right before you begin to put the structure on top because if you don't, it'll lean over or it begins to wobble or it begins to see cracks appearing. And sometimes you look at buildings, even new buildings these days, and you see cracks through the wall and you think, well, they should have got the foundation sorted out because if there's no movement, then it is held strong and it is kept in the right place. So as we begin, or as we saw last week rather we considered the fact that uh, King Adam was indeed made a king and life's most important question that we considered last week is simply this who is Christ what do you think about the Christ Matthew 22 verse 42 is life's most important question it was the most important question that the Pharisees were asked and they didn't think anything of him They didn't want to think anything of him because they were too busy making sure that they had the place in society that they wanted to have. They were too busy making sure that they were able to make rules. Do you realize that the Jewish nation, even to this day, has so many rules, hundreds of them, and yet only 10 were given by God to be able to live their lives? If you go to Israel on a a Saturday, the Sabbath, and you're in a hotel, and uh, you want to go up to the floor, it's set so that it goes up one floor and stops, and the door's open. And then it goes up to the next, and the door's open. And the reason for that is so that you don't have to do any work by pressing the button to choose the floor that you want to get out. It just takes ages. If you're going to book up, don't go in a very, very high hotel to Israel. You can't spit on the ground, not because it's a nasty habit, but because it may cause a furrow to be developed on the ground which would suggest that you have worked. Do you see how things have changed? And none of that does anything for the heart. And if you sit here this evening and you say, well, Jesus Christ was a good man. He was a good teacher. In fact, he was a great example to live by. I found a book at home, and I have no idea where it came from. It was on top of the piano, and I was looking at my wife, seeing if she knows where it came from. And it's entitled, No Jesus, No Something. Okay, well, I better be careful what I say. I've read that book, just skimmed through very carefully. And a lot of it, in fact, I would say all of it is really good. Except nowhere does it say that we have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere does it say that our life is changed and has to be changed through faith in Jesus Christ. But it goes through all the things that Jesus did, the people he spoke to, the way that he responded. And it says this is how we should live our life. We should be good people. We should be good people. We should be kind people. We should be loving people. We should go out of our way to help other people. And you know, all of those things are true. And there are too few Christians who don't seem to understand that this is all part and parcel of the Christian gospel and the Christian faith. But it's not the pinnacle. 
The pinnacle is our relationship with Jesus. Because all of those things are forced if they don't come from the heart. So there are people who go around and they say, yes, Jesus was a good teacher, a good example. He was a prophet. Even Muslims believe he was a prophet. But he can't save us. He can't save us. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the power that we've spoken of in that hymn. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Because they don't believe it. You see, if that's the position that you're in, then to you, Jesus is not the Son of God. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. To you, He is not the Son of God. He's just an ordinary man, a good man, better than many of us, but just an ordinary man. Now, this has massive ramifications for you personally. At its simplest, it means that you are not saved. It means that you have not understood God's Uh, salvation, nor have you understood his plan for salvation. For example, what you've just described is exactly the way that the Jehovah's Witnesses think of Jesus. They say Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't God. And the outworking of this thinking is simply that you're lost. And I would implore you with all of the love in my heart and concern in my heart, to bow down before Jesus Christ and to say from your heart that he is Lord and that he is God. Because if he isn't, you have no salvation, nor do you have any hope of salvation. You need to recognize who Jesus is. What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about him? Can he do anything for you? Or can he do nothing for you? Because at the moment, you're on the road to destruction. At the moment, you are walking away from God. You have turned your back on God and you are heading to certain destruction. This is what the Bible tells us. Life's most important question, who is Christ? The most important question you will ever be able, more important than who you're going to marry, the most important question that you will ever have to ask and answer is who is Christ? What does he mean to you? Who is he? Do you know him? And life's second most important question is, what is man? God asked the question, that what is man that thou art mindful of him? Now, there's a very interesting dilemma, and we spoke about this briefly last week, between these two questions. What is it? Very simply, you can't really separate these two, can you? Why? Because Jesus Christ became man. He's the God-man. Now, this tells us something incredible about ourselves, about the human race in general. It tells us something fascinating about you and me. Now, you might think to yourself, you know, I'm not a particularly interesting person. You might think you're not a particularly interesting person. 
And maybe some other people here would agree with that general statement. But God is interested in you. Because God loves you. Because he made you in his image. And he wants to have a restored relationship with you. And so that's why the question, who is Christ? What do you think about the Christ is so important? Because these two questions, life's most important question, what is man, or or who is Christ? And then the second question, what is man, are intrinsically linked together. It tells us that we, men and women, boys and girls, must have been mightily important to God. For God left his throne in heaven and he came down and he died on a cross for us. For me. For you. And Psalm 8 and in verse 4 asks the question, what is man? If you were with us last Sunday evening, you'll recall that we looked at the first of three kings that are spoken of here in Psalm 8. The third king is a little bit tricky, but you'll have to come next week to find the answer for that one. So next week, same time, same place. So we looked at King Adam and we learned a great deal about ourselves. You can't help but do that every time you hear about Adam and what took place in his life and broken relationships. It just speaks of us. God the Father created us in his image to be kings and King Adam was given dominion over everything that the Lord God had created. But sad to say, we're not kings today. What are we? We're slaves. That's the reality of the position and the situation that we find ourselves in. The whole of our society, our countries, our nation, our worlds are now slaves to sin. And that was never how it was supposed to be. And the image of God has been marred by sin. Our mind doesn't think the thoughts that we should be thinking. Our heart doesn't love what God loves. And our will is stubbornly against God. So what was to be done about this situation? What would God do to rescue his creation? To rescue the people created in his image whom he loves and he continues to love? Don't you understand how much God loves you? He loves you so much and it pains him every time he sees our lives being ruined by sin, being broken by sin, our relationships being broken. When we get ourselves into problems, when we have fights, and when our children let us down, and when our parents let us down. And he loves us. And he loves us again, and he continues to love us. In fact, there's nothing that we can do. Now, some of us have uh, had the privilege of being brought up in in families where our parents love and know the Lord Jesus. Jesus. And uh, I know I've mentioned it before, but I remember an occasion, uh, I was probably 14, 15 years old, and uh, there had been a a series of uh, James Dobson films being shown in uh, the church that that we grew up in. I I, I was sort of like into fiddling around with electrical things and so on, and was the only person who was prepared to take on 
uh, the 16 millimeter projector. Now, for those of you under a, a, a certain age, you'll have absolutely no idea what a 16 millimeter projector is, but you had a great big roll of film. It was colossal, and you had to feed it through, and it would then shine and project onto the screen. And so I was up in the balcony of this church, and it was a midweek meeting, and those who had come were gathered in the, uh, in the, the well of the church. And so I was up there by myself, in this darkened old Victorian church, keeping this projector. You had to nurse it. You had to be kind to it and loving to keep it running. And, and then at the end of the film, on the third evening or so, uh, there was a, a panel of parents that were brought in to, uh, to talk about it. And the pastor had my mum as one of, the, uh, of one of the people on the panel. And of course, you, know, you, you can be a little bit uneasy about this situation. What would your mother say about you, I wonder, if she was asked... Some questions. How would, how, what sort of report would she give? So anyway, the pastor turns to my mum and says, Helen, so um, is there anything that your sons could do that would cause them to stop loving, that cause you to stop loving them? And she didn't hesitate. And she looked at the pastor and she said, there's nothing. I will love them come what may. And then she said the reason why. Because he loves me, come what may. Now those words have stuck in my mind. And I hope that they'll stick in your minds too. Because we have done our level best to turn our backs upon God. We're arrogant. One of the hymns spoke of that. We're proud. We can do it in our own strength and we keep on saying that. And God keeps on talking to us. And he keeps on reminding us that I love you because I created you. Because you're mine. And he wants us to come to him to repent, to confess our sin. And he doesn't do that to screw us into the ground. He does that to lift us up. Because he wants us to be kings. Now that is incredible. We don't deserve it. Some of us, as I say, do our level best to run away from God. Every time God draws and calls and shows and reveals himself to us, we turn away. How long would you take if somebody did that to you? Would you come back? You know, friends, my wife heard from a friend we haven't heard from, from for ages. And then suddenly she gets an email. You know, and you think to yourself, would you keep coming back? And, 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 and this, this is our God. There's nothing we can do that will stop him loving us. Now, this evening, we're going to meet the second king. In fact, we've met him already. We've been talking about him. Some of us have met him personally, and some of us know the joy that there is in meeting royalty. And this royalty is different because King Jesus wants to meet us. 
Remember that the very first question posed in the New Testament, what is it? Is this, Matthew 2, verse 2. Where is he that is born king? Where is he that has been born king? That's the first question in the New Testament. And have you asked that question? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in my life? I want to meet Jesus. So our second king, King Jesus. Now Genesis chapter 5 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Now what's all this got to do with it? Well, when you read the Old Testament and you find out that Adam's generations are sinners and slaves. Adam's generations are sinners and slaves and sinners and slaves and tragically sinners and slaves. That's it. And then you flip over to Matthew chapter 1 and we read, this is the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. A brand new king, a brand new family. Now we turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 quotes from Psalm 8. So you get this large section of Psalm 8 transplanted and quoted there in um, Hebrews uh, chapter 2. You see, God the Father created me to be a king. You might find that hard to believe, and I do too. But that's how each one of us was created to be. And it's sin that has made a slave out of me. It's sin that's made a slave out of you. You might think you're free. Some of our young people here get the feeling, you know, they've just got their first car. They can do whatever they want. Freedom. And then something goes wrong. And perhaps a policeman chases you. Sin made a slave out of me. But God the Son redeemed me to be a king. So let's look at Psalm 8 in Hebrews 2, verse, uh, starting at verse 6. But one testifies in a certain place saying, so the testifying in the certain place is Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Close quotations. The writer stops. Takes a breath. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now, we do not yet see all things put under him. You see, man is not controlling the beasts. The beasts of the field, or the birds of the air, or the fish. <laughs> in fact, Man has trouble controlling his own children, let alone the beasts, let alone the fish, let alone the birds in the air. And so the writer stops and says, wait a minute, is the Bible true? Yes, the Bible is true. You've put all things under man's feet. That's what it says. Psalm 8. But we don't see all things under man's feet, do we? 
So what do we see? This is incredible. We see verse 9. But we see Jesus. Now do you begin to see what's happening, what's taking place. You see, the last Adam came, the last Adam came, and in his acts of disobedience on the cross, was able to undo all that Adam had done. The last Adam came, which is Jesus, and in his acts of obedience on the cross, undid all the tragic damage that the first Adam had done. God the Father created me to be a king and God the Son redeemed me to be a king. It's interesting. He says here that Jesus Christ has dominion. He has dominion over the beasts. Now you and I, we can't even tell our cat what to do. Sometimes our dog will do some of the things that we ask it to do. But you don't have dominion over your dog. We don't have dominion over the beasts, but Jesus did. In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, it says that he was with the wild beasts and not one touched him. When he rode into Jerusalem, he rode on an animal that had not yet been broken, hadn't been ridden yet. Now, I wouldn't do that because doing that hurts. But he had dominion over the beast. He had dominion over the fish. I, I, I don't go fishing, but I'm guessing the fishing season here in Canada is starting soon. So if there's any people that are into fishing, you can put me right on that. But, uh, but I think that's what go, what's going on. And you'll see the sign in people's houses, I'm out, I've gone fishing or whatever it is. But you don't have dominion over the fish. You, know, you can drown a worm in front of it. But, but, but you don't have dominion over the fish. But Jesus did. Peter had been fishing all night and he caught nothing. And Jesus says, cast the net over the other side. And he got so many fish that he had to get his partners to come and help him. He sent Peter down to the sea one day to catch a fish. And in its mouth was some money. And Jesus just controlled the fish. He had dominion over the fish. He had dominion over the birds, the fowls of the air. I wonder how many roosters there were in Jerusalem the night Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times. I reckon there was hundreds, possibly thousands of them. And all of them were silent. Not a squeak. Nothing. Until at just the right time, our Lord commanded one important rooster to crow and instantly Peter remembered the words that had been spoken to him you see when Jesus was here on earth he exercised that dominion that Adam had lost and so the writer to the Hebrews says we don't see man exercising his dominion yet but we will one of these days one of these days when Jesus and his church reign in glory we will exercise dominion Hebrews 2 verse 9 but we see Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? Have you met with Jesus? Adam says God the Father created us to be kings and Jesus says God the Son redeemed us to be kings. 
So friends, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Have you come to Jesus Christ with your sin and your disappointment and your failure and your sin and your disappointment and your failure and your just downright stupidity? Have you said, I've made a mess of my life and the lives of my friends and my family? They've been included in this. But Jesus died for you. Are you able to say, and I believe that Jesus died for me in my heart? You see, you can change from being a slave to being a king. John says this over in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. John wrote, to him, and these these words are just so lovely. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, if you're saved today by faith in Jesus Christ, your royalty. If you've been washed in the blood that we've sung about, that was shed at Calvary, then you're a king. You're royalty. You see, you have to be to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And so, friends, the only question that remains for us to ask this evening is, have you been washed in the blood? Has your sin issue been dealt with? We're going to sing it in just a moment. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We looked at these verses this morning, Romans 10, 8 to 11, but have to mention them again. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. This evening call to the Lord. Confess your sin. Declare your faith in him. Now you may then say, But how do I live like a king? Well, that leads us to next week, and you have to come along to find out. Because we meet the third king next week. David is king number three. David wrote Psalm 8, and David says, God the Holy Spirit, the anointing power of God, anointed us to be kings. 
We've learned that God the Father created us to be kings. We've learned that God the Son redeemed us to be kings. And next week we learn that God the Holy Spirit anoints us to be kings. When you were saved, God gave you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit of God is in control of your life, we are obeying Romans 5.17 where we read, we reign in life. We reign. If you no longer want to be a slave to your sin, if you're tired of the life that you have been living, which is a life of bondage to sin and to failure and evil, then tonight, stop. As we said this morning, Romans 3, verse 19, stop your mouth and start listening. Listen to the Lord Jesus calling you. He loves you and he wants you to be as you were meant to be a king. And this is all possible through Jesus Christ who loved you and died for you. So this evening, it's time for you to respond and to use faith that is his free gift to you to repent of your sin and to turn to Jesus and to receive salvation, to be born again, as the Bible puts it, and to be born a king. And so I look forward to meeting again next week as we discuss how do we live.